Donald Trump was confident that he could convince his supporters the election was stolen, no matter how many lawsuits he lost, and he lost scores of them. Welcome to the Political Notebook podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher, and I'm here talking with my dad, Robert Robb, who is writing about politics and public policy at robertrobb.substack.com. Subscribe if you're not yet a subscriber. Also, if you subscribe to other Substacks, um, Substacks, when you subscribe, they go directly to your email. Uh, but if you have an Apple device, you can also download the Substack app and have all the Substacks organized uh, in one place. Um, I also write a Substack, Choya Express, kind of uh, reflections on on Arizona. You can check that out. I'll put the I'll put both links uh, underneath. Uh, other Arizona. Related substacks, of course, the Arizona Agenda, uh, daily political political news. Um, we're going to talk, touch on uh, kind of a mix and match today episode today, um, starting with uh, something that that you wrote about, Dad, about testing and, and education, um, and then and then a little bit later, I want to get into um, something that was touched on in the Arizona Agenda uh, today. Um, a split, perhaps, in the in the Republican faction. Whether that's going to hold up um, after after the ele- after the primary election, um, and then uh, at the end, I want to briefly uh, get your perspective on the January sixth hearings. And uh, you have not written or spoken about that, so I want to get your uh, get your two cents on on how that has played out. Um, but. Let's first start talking about one of your substacks last week. Uh, you ended talking about how um, you think the summer school program that Ducey has launched has been uh, inadequate, and you described a comprehensive um, kind of a need for a comprehensive uh, system of testing to identify, called it diagnostic testing, to identify learning loss um, and then remediation, right? But my, what, what stood out to me as I'm now in meetings getting ready for this upcoming school year that's about to happen is that you know, we spend so much energy and, and effort on testing, right? We have the state testing that we have to do. The whole month of, of April for a lot of schools are, is dedicated to this testing. And we're starting the school year next week. Um, many schools are starting, and they don't have this very basic thing that you asked for, which is just a simple diagnostic test. Of how of how students are doing, um, so when you were writing that, what what did you what test did you have in mind to determine the the, the level that students are at? Well, we we know that there has been serious learning loss um, as a result of um, the closing down of schools uh, because of COVID, and the state has received over four billion dollars in federal funds earmarked for K-12 education and the most um, pressing need for the use of those funds is a statewide comprehensive program to identify losses in learning skills or inadequate progress in learning skills and individual remediation and there's enough money to do that and I'm talking about a very um, stripped down Uh, diagnostic test, not of content, but of learning skills uh, and basically reading comprehension uh, and um, where 
students are in math and not use it as anything to measure the schools or even publish it uh, on a school-wide basis, unlike the tests that you're talking about needing to prepare for at the end of the year, uh, but simply to identify for these students um, where they've missed out, uh, not again in terms of content, but, but their ability to learn, basic learning skills. It probably wouldn't need to be more than an hour, hour and a half test. It would identify um, critical gaps uh, as a result of uh, the COVID learning loss. Uh, and I believe that you could hire with $4 billion enough former teachers or uh, train people to be tutors to fill in those specific uh, learning uh, deficiencies um, and bring those kids up to speed uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, and instead, the money is just going in all sorts of ways. So the governor got some, the superintendent of public instruction got some, the district's got uh, a lot of money directly, and it's being spent here and there. Um, but there's just no statewide comprehensive program to hone in on the issue and to use the money the way that it should be used. And to me, I, I think it's the most poorly, uh, most uh, poorly served our students, our K-12 students have had in, in my entire experience. Yeah, I, I agree that there, that there needs to be a comprehensive look at, at all of, at all of that, at those, especially the testing element combined uh, because you, know, you would that diagnostic test that you described, I, in my opinion, is probably the only thing that we that we really need. You know, unless you're you know, if it, the end of the year test don't even really test. Uh, it's not even a comprehensive test of what you're supposed to learn because they, it's the um, at the high school level at least it's the ACT. So, for example, I teach history and, and government. Uh, in economics, there's no test at the end of that year to see how well my students have learned the content that I, that I teach. They'll take the ACT, which is a um, which is most widely used as a college uh, aptitude test. But you know, in terms of of what schools themselves would need to determine what level the students are at or how well they've they've taught that year, um, the current testing system we have, in my opinion fails in, in, in both areas. And I even know what we're going to get a grade. We're going to get school grades coming out from last year. Um, but it's August or it's, it's almost August school's about to start. We're not, we don't have those results yet. So, um, and then, and then last year we didn't even have the, what the test format and the resource were going to be until midway through the first quarter. So, so, so school year started last year without really knowing what the tests are going to be or what resources we should use. Um, and then we're starting this year without knowing the results uh, of of those uh, uh, full the full results. I don't think uh, have been have been released yet for all those uh, for all those tests. So I I um, I'm on your I'm on your side in terms of uh, wanting a, a more simplified um, and more practical more practical. Um, test that could be that could be better utilized for the purposes that you that you describe well as, as we've discussed in, in previous episodes i absolutely agree that the current 
uh, test that's used uh, primarily um, not to empower teachers uh, with uh, the ability to stylize individual instruction to help their students, but to um, hold schools accountable for their uh, performance uh, with uh, the progress their students have made in aggregate. And I think we can have a rich discussion about what the public policy should be uh, with respect to that as an ongoing system. And we both have our uh, criticisms uh, of it, uh, but uh, what sort of ongoing testing we should have and what uses we should put the results to, I think is a rich subject for public policy debate. What I'm talking about is completely independent of that, to say we have a serious problem. We know we have a serious problem. We've documented that. The closing of schools resulted in uh, students falling behind um, for no other purpose except to identify where individual students have fallen behind and give them individual instruction to catch them up. Um, is what I'm talking about in terms of this particular test, the stripped down learning skills, not content. Um, and uh, as time goes on, we're gonna lose the opportunity uh, to catch those students up. And uh, with all, if, if, if the state had to do it on its own dime, uh, I think you could make an argument as to whether we can afford it. But when you're sitting around with $4 billion that the feds uh, gave the state, uh, earmarked for K-12 to deal with the consequences of COVID, uh, not putting it to this purpose and, and reaching out to these kids and to the extent you can, uh, catch them up so that they're not behind for a lifetime. Uh, it just, I, I called it a, a four alarm uh, crises uh, early on um, and no one's treating it as that. There may, there may be some individual school districts or schools that are, um, but there is no statewide comprehensive approach uh, to what seems to me a critical need and uh, something that these students absolutely deserve us to give our best effort to catch them up uh, their future course in life. Um, right. Can depend upon how well we do that. And the most effective thing I think we can do to help students learn the best is to retain teachers that are fleeing the classrooms because of all the, not just the, not just the pay, but the many, many unfavorable conditions like the uh, oppressive testing uh, dynamic that doesn't produce what we, what we needed to, in my view, uh, so much of that goes in, it goes into play that um, I also think is a ongoing rolling emergency. But let's, let's change gears a little bit. The primary is next week. Uh, our next episode will be after the, uh, after the primary election. Uh, the, the Arizona agenda did a really good job of uh, kind of split screening the, the two factions looking at the, uh, the raucous Trump rally versus the um, more toned down. Uh, stayed in, stayed, he didn't for, say it, but stayed in boring, I think, was <laughs> how they were yeah. kind of gen gingerly characterizing it. 
I mean, I watched I watched the Trump speech, and that that thing was I mean that thing was incredibly boring. There were people literally yawning and falling asleep behind him. Um, but you know, given that it's a as you describe it, a sort of a cult following and and sort of the culture the cultural element of that the agenda described that as well kind of like a wwe style with pre interviews post interviews just a whole experience right it's almost like you know the um circus coming in town um combining a lot of the you know you described in your uh most recent post about you know sort of the it's an experience, right? It's a, it's a, it's a social and cultural event. Um, as much as it is, Hey, I like these policies that he might, uh, that these individuals might enact if they, if they get, uh, elected. Um, <clears throat> but the other interesting thing is, is, is what's going to happen after the primary. Cause normally even in, in very heated primaries, you know, the two sides are on the same party, they're on the same team and they get together and they try to win the, the general election. Um, the, the agenda hinted that maybe that's not going to happen, uh, this year. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think that, um, if Robeson wins, Lake is going to, um, Team Lake is going to rally around her and, and try to beat um, the Democrats in in November um, and vice versa. What do you what do you think is going to happen? How do you see that playing out? I, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch, and I'm not certain what the outcome would be. As as you uh, indicated, um, we have a rich history in this country of of highly contested. Uh, mean divisive primaries and then afterwards either party coalesces behind who the winner is and then turns their attention to uh, the other side. Um, I think it is more likely uh, that uh, the Roadsome uh, camp, uh, including Ducey, who, who heads up the Republican Governors Association that wants to elect Republicans all across the country, uh, would um, at least provide pro forma support for a Lake candidacy. The Trump forces, however, um, of for whom Lake is their leader in the governor's race, um, seems to uh, desire to uh, defeat what they call rhinos. Uh, more than they desire to defeat Democrats, to sort of purify the party and make it a uh, America first uh, MAGA party. And um, Lake has already said that uh, the only way she loses is if the election is illegitimate and stolen, uh, as has Mark Fitchum in the Secretary of State's race. Um, so uh, given what appears to be their main political mission, which is to defeat what they call rhinos rather than Democrats. Uh, and given what they've already said uh, in advance, um, I think it is entirely possible uh, that uh, Lake will, if she loses, uh, refuse to acknowledge the legitimacy uh, of her defeat um, and support the Republican nominee, uh, which sort of raises the question of who's the real rhino, who's the real Republican right. in, in name 
only uh, if you're not willing to support uh, the dominee uh, after all the votes are counted. Well, that was kind of what happened in 2016, right? Everyone took a pledge when Trump was running. They made everyone take a pledge that they would support the eventual nominee of of the primary. The reason for that is because everyone thought that Trump, if he would, everyone thought Trump was going to lose. And everyone was scared that Trump was going to lose and then get mad and, and then launch a bid as an independent. So that whole loyalty test was actually to try to rein in Trump. But it turned out to be, you know, that everyone else just he won and everyone else remained loyal to him. And and that's if there is a uh, Republican, like obviously uh, the 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 MAGA faction or the Trump faction, they are just abusing the rhinos left and right. You know, on online in the rallies, talking about how they want to crush them, talking about how they should just get out of the party. But then you know this is a weird thing of. There, there is no, there doesn't seem to be any sense of intensity or defense on the part of, you know, what we would call either traditional conservatives or, or principal conservatives or just um, willing to not throw overthrow the election for, uh, for, for to keep Trump in power, even though he lost. They, they seem like they're just very calm, quiet, accepting of it. You know, we'll see. Maybe there's a silent majority that's going about to win um, in the primary. We'll see if, if they have a silent majority. But I, I, I will say that I don't think uh, Lake's failure to um, acknowledge her defeat or uh, support uh, Robeson in the general uh, will have a significant influence on Robeson's chances of winning a general election if this remains a strong Republican-leaning year. I think this um, desire to purify the party and to remake it in Trump's image uh, is uh, limited, uh, and making that a superior political objective to defeating Democrats in a general election, I think only applies to sort of the leadership of the movement, and I doubt that it applies to even much of the base that um, supports Trump when when it gets to a general election choice between a Robeson and a Katie Hobbs if um, she succeeds as expected in winning the Democratic nomination. Uh, I just don't think that there will be among the grassroots base and Republican voters in a general election, which is a different population than those who vote in the primary, uh, would be would would want to punish the party for making the mistake in the primary uh, by electing a Democrat governor for the next four years. Do you think if we let's say let's say Lake wins, do you think that a significant amount of um, Robeson supporters and consultants? are going to be campaigning and working on on behalf of Lake, even though she's taken positions basically uh, so extreme. That's not, in my opinion, I mean, the way I see it, it's not even conservative. I mean, it's, if, if you're advocating for that the election should have been overturned and given to Trump, if you're saying that you would not have certified the 2020 election, if you're saying that basically you're going to use the power of, the, of, of your office to support Trump potentially in 2024, even if he loses again, 
are they just going to pretend like she's not going to do that? Or how, how do you think that there's, that that is going to be the split? Do you think that there will be people walking away from that and saying, no, I'm not going to support Lake against it, it, if that's why I wish there was an independent option. Cause there's no, they're not going to support Democrat, the Democrat. Right. So well, what do you some do? of them, um, regardless of what they say publicly, <laughs> if it is a Hobbs, uh, Lake race will probably, in the secrecy of the ballot box, vote for for Hobbs. Um, to to if there is a rallying around Lake uh, by the Robeston forces, I think it will be at most pro forma, um, sort of the formula that uh, oh, John McCain and others used with respect to Trump. Um, I'm a Republican. I support the nominee of the party, and and uh, meanwhile, I'm going to go off and do other things. Uh, I I can't imagine that there's going to be a uh, the kind of unifying behind the party uh, nominee and going all out for a general election victory uh, if Lake is the the nominee that there customarily is, and, and I believe that um, because. Um, of Arizona's rejection of Trumpism um, uh, and the outcome both of the 2018 and 2020 election, uh, I think even in a Republican-leaning year, Katie Hobbs will have a um, solid chance uh, to defeat uh, Lake in a um, general election. Uh, I mean, she beat Gaynor. She beat Gaynor in 20, when was that, 20... 2016 or yeah 2018 you're right so she she beat Gaynor, who was running basically as just a generic maga republican he was kind of hey i'm a trump republican i'm running for secretary of state and she beat him that was that was another midterm year i guess trump was president that year so he might have had different uh different effects and that was before the you know, she's got this discrimination scandal now, which changes the changes the equation. But if you're going against Lake, I, I yeah, knows? I think she's got a chance. It, it it in 2018, it was a Democratic uh, leaning year, uh, and it was for a lower level office. Um, governorship is a big, high profile. Uh, office and it will be a big high profile race. It's a Republican leaning year. And, and so the, it, it's a, it's a tougher challenge for her than winning the secretary of state office was in 2018. But I believe that the rejection of Trump is so strong, particularly among independents and a growing segment of Republican voters that even in a Republican leaning year that uh, Hobbs would have a chance to defeat uh, lake in a general election. It'd be very interesting what happens in this in this Republican primary because there's so many there's so many different possibilities. That you have Lake, let's say Lake and Fincham win, and Rusty Bowers loses. I mean, I, I would imagine you'd see a ton of defections from the Republican Party of saying this this party is gone, right? But if but if Robeson wins, if if Bo Lane wins, if if you have a different combination of outcomes. There is no great outcome for principal conservatives in the U.S. Senate race, um, except for maybe McGuire. But 
I just think it'll be very interesting. And it'll, it'll obviously the proxy war that's been made into a national question is going to be talked about a lot, but you know, down, down the ballot too, it'll be very interesting to see what, what comes out of those results next week. Uh, final question here, January 6th hearings. Have you been, how, how have you been, I know you haven't been watching them, but how have you been observing them as they've been playing out the last couple yeah, months? I, so. I, I don't watch much television periods. So I, I've not actually watched the hearings, but I've been reading uh, about them uh, avidly. So I, I've been closely following them from uh, that standpoint. Um, I reached the conclusion uh, even before Trump left office in around Christmas time uh, of 20, uh, uh, 2020, um, that he had attempted a coup, uh, just looking at uh, what was going on. Uh, and it was clear that there was a strategy, which the January 6th committee, I think, has done a good job of documenting of trying to prevent the certification of election results uh, in certain states, including Arizona, uh, and uh, then trying to get alternative uh, delegates in some way submitted uh, to set things up for what occurred on January 6th. Uh, and so I, I concluded way back then uh, that Trump had attempted a coup, which was one of the most nefarious acts uh, in all of American history. Um, obviously, that has not been accepted in, in Trump land and among base uh, Republicans. And I think the January 6th committee is doing a very good job of systematically developing and presenting uh, the evidence. Uh, and uh, while it is under attack, and some of the attacks in terms of Republicans not having had a fair shot at getting their own folks uh, on the committee, um, I think nevertheless it's starting to, it, it's confirming things among political independents uh, in terms of uh, Trump's nefarious uh, place in American history. And I think it's beginning to eat away to the loyalty even among base Republican voters uh, to the, the man. I will say that while I think there's a legitimate complaint Republicans can made about not having their guys on it, um, those were people who were co-conspirators, the, the folks that the Republicans wanted on it. Uh, and I actually think the Democrats made the right decision in keeping them off it and uh, permitting the case to be developed and presented uh, without uh, a whole bunch of people telling them, repeating the big lie. Um, so, uh, and, and God bless uh, Liz Cheney, who's put her yeah. political career on the line. Um, <clears throat> uh, it, it, it is a valuable national service, and I think it's having an effect. Yeah. And I, and I know you've actually been watching the hearings. Yeah, I've watched all of them. I've watched all of them. I think I think they're pretty powerful presentations. And I understand, you know, a guy like Britt Hume is on Fox News, kind of always, always complaining that there's no one redirecting or cross-examining, and and that it's that is biased uh, for that reason. And I see I see the point that that yeah, if the, if you did have if you did have a person that was cross-examining there would be some different angles and some different 
um, perspectives that, that come out of that. But, but, but if you're not looking at, if you're more upset by that than about the obvious facts of what happened that you knew, you know, most of us that are sort of just more impartially watching what happened, it's, it's outrageous. It's, it's, it's so damning that it's almost like, how is this person still appearing at rallies with Arizona politicians? How is that still possible? It's just like, this person should have been, you know, kind of like, why would, it's just shocking. And, and while, while January 6th itself was happening, in my mind, I actually thought, this is it. No one's ever going to want to be seen in public with Donald Trump again. It's over and we're going to get past this, but, but we didn't. And it's, it's, it's incredible that, that, that we're at this place. So, so yeah, Kevin McCarthy pulled, pulled people off of that committee after they didn't want co-conspirators like Jim Jordan on the committee itself. Um, I thought, and, but, but the, but the end product has been just a masterful presentation of the facts and, and yeah, it's, Maybe they're making a big show out of it, but in, in 2022 in, in America, that's really the only way that you're going to break through any facts is to, is to make a, makes TV production, make, um, and just to, just to hammer it in. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with the Republican party. I don't know what's going to happen with, in the future of, of Liz Cheney's political fate, but Hey, they're, they're putting it, they're putting the record out there for history. And I, I think that's doing a great service to the to the country. Agreed. <clears throat> so next episode of the Political Notebook will be a recap after the the election results um, come in. So um, August second, next Tuesday, is a primary. If they're close elections, it might take a, a couple days to get the results in. If certain candidates lose, they'll probably make a scene or two. But hopefully um, the elections are, are go, go smoothly and, and we'll have some clear outcomes by the next time we record um, this podcast. Um, go on Substack, subscribe to robertrob.substack.com. I'll also put my link in there to, uh, to my Substack. Uh, you can subscribe to The Political Notebook on any podcasting app. Thanks for listening.